We're going to look at John 15, if you want to have the Bible in front of you. We'll look at that in a minute. Um, And yeah, like Simon was uh, just saying, this is the kind of end of our I Am series from John. I think we're going to rejoin John's gospel again, um, actually kind of in 2020. But this is the end of this kind of I Am sayings. This last one is I Am the Vine, which comes in John 15. And it is this phenomenal kind of thread through John's gospel, which is just deeply profound. It would be enough if he just said, I am, that many times, Jesus. And like Simon, when he kicked off the the series, kind of pinned down for us, this was this phenomenal phrase that for the Jewish people was kind of, you know, it shook them because this was the name that God first gave himself when he appeared to Moses. It's their kind of defining, this identity-defining phrase Uh, for God to such an extent that they weren't willing to use it. And, you know, for lots of theologians, they would point to some of these places that these kind of sneaky kind of uh, ways in which Jesus made these audacious claims about himself. They would point to those to, to say, well, that's really why Jesus went to the cross kind of legally, because they saw him as a blasphemer, somebody who was saying things about himself and God that just were not on. You do not do that, not against the name of the Holy One of Israel. But here is Jesus, and here for the seventh time using this I am uh, phrase. So I'm just going to read this passage to you, and then we'll kind of get into a couple of thoughts around it. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And it goes on, and we're going to pick up on a few other little bits uh, later. Uh, I, uh, I shared a story this morning about um, almost kind of drowning at a baptism, um, but I'm not going to share that one with you tonight, even though it's a really good one. Uh, I felt really led to tell you a different story. I was 22, and um, uh, I had kind of just come back to faith. And uh, I've told my testimony at St. Paul's before, even though I'm very new. Uh, I've only been here a couple of months, but you can, again, listen to that uh, one in the discipleship talk that's kind of from September. Uh, but, but my story is very much of one who ran away. Uh, and if you, like, you, if you know your Bible, I was a bit like a Jonah or a prodigal son, really. I, I kind of ran away and, um, from God. And when I came back to faith, uh, I was 22. And I ended up in London. That's when I first came to London. And, uh, and I ended up working for this charity who were an amazing charity called Soul Survivor. They're a church as well, and, um, and they were putting on this kind of uh, event in London. It was really an, an initiative called Soul in the City. Now, I don't know if any of you in the room will remember that. Some of you may. Uh, great, oh yeah, Soul in the City. It was an amazing time because um, uh, just about 10,000, just over 10,000 teenagers who would normally go to big summer Christian festivals, uh, that summer in 2004 came to London to serve in social action projects. 
They got buddied up with local churches who had worked really hard or were already in relationship with local council or Met Police um, in order to put on projects that would genuinely uh, have a, quite, like a good effect and a good impact on their local community. It was amazing. You know, to see a load of teenagers uh, who could have been off, you know, doing something else. And back in 2004, they could have been playing on their, um, uh, like, uh, no, Super Nintendos, like my N64, yeah. It was like PlayStation, almost PlayStation 2 time, right? It was that kind of um, Pro Evo, FIFA wasn't quite as big as it should have been, but it would you know, it was about to take over, all of that stuff. Um, and, uh, um, uh, but they didn't do that. They gave their time uh, to come to London. Loads of them who weren't from London came to the Big Smoke and they gave of their time uh, in, this, in this genuine sense of call, both on Soul Survivor uh, as a community, as a big community of thousands of teenagers, but, uh, but as individuals who genuinely turned up. And when I chatted to them uh, that summer, who were like, yeah, we wanted to come because God called us to come and serve in London. I wonder what you feel called to serve in in London. At the very end of that two weeks, uh, there was a big thing at Trafalgar Square, and uh, and it was an amazing time. Thousands of young people and uh, loads of other people as well uh, who gathered at Trafalgar Square and uh, worshipped and prayed together in the kind of conclusion of this amazing week. I mean, it was a phenomenal time. I remember standing in one of the fountains in Trafalgar Square, really just amazing just to be able to do that. And um, I don't know how that happened. It was just so many of us, they didn't police it. Standing in a fountain, and I'd only been like back to faith for like nine months, hadn't prayed previous to that for years. And I was there, yes, God, come on, this is amazing. And amongst, in, in amongst all of these other people doing the same. And actually, as a romantic caveat, I found out when I met Carrie years later, my wife that is, uh, that she was stood in the same fountain. Isn't that amazing? And we didn't know each other then. Oh, oh. it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, 12 years of marriage, it still doesn't get old. It's amazing. Uh, so, um, uh, so I was there, and it was phenomenal time. And I'd been part of team. That was one of the amazing kind of things. I got invited into team. I felt like, oh, I've not only come back to faith, but I'd really served as part of this big project. And then they did a, a kind of call for people who didn't know Jesus to come up and to uh, take the opportunity to give their lives to Jesus there. And they said, there will be people at the front who've been on team during these two weeks, and they will pray for you. And I was like, oh, I get to pray for some people who might be becoming Christians today. This is amazing. So off I went. Went down, ran out of the fountain, down to the stage, showed my like pass to the guy so I could get behind the stage, all fine. And I got back there, I was really ready, like, oh, I'm going to pray, oh, this is amazing, some teenager who didn't know Jesus yesterday is going to know him today, this is really exciting, genuinely, totally, not, nothing cynical about that moment for me, massive part of my coming back to faith was God delivering me from cynicism, that's a whole other story, but like genuinely, a whole amazing spiritual thing that happened to me, but so I was there genuinely, like, I cannot wait for that. So I was there with my lanyard, looking all teamy, and uh, thinking, great, I'm in. This is amazing. I get to kind of pray. And this older guy, who was also wearing a lanyard, came up to me. And I was thinking, oh, yeah, okay, great. Team talk. You know, this is fine. Ready for this, you know, kind of wave of people who are about to come. And this guy comes up to me, and he went, would you like prayer? And I was like, no, 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 no. It's fine. I'm just, I'm waiting for the other people. We're going to, I'm going to pray too. And he was like, yeah, but would you like prayer while we're waiting? I was like, oh, we'll do, I, I know, I, but I've come back to, I've come to faith already. It's fine. You don't need to pray for me. This is not a thing. And he was like, well, I'd, I'd, love, I'd love to pray for you. So then I was like, oh, right, well, 
I was really excited about praying for other people, but I kind of, it's hard to say no when another Christian offers to pray for you, right? It's like the kind of, it's awkward if you say no, no, no. So then, uh, so I was like, okay, yeah, sure, great, pray, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and this guy prayed for me, and, and I, I don't really know how much time it took, but I missed out on praying for anybody who came forward, and there were people that day who gave their life to Jesus, which was amazing. But this, this guy prayed for me, and he had this picture that, um, and he had no idea about my story. He had this picture uh, that I, it was like my um, family lineage had shifted, and I was now a direct descendant of, uh, through Jesus, of, of God the Father. You know, I'd been adopted afresh, proper. And I grew up in a Christian family, and I, I had my, my, you know, I had like, um, I'd been around faith, so I felt like I had a kind of natural Christian heritage in, in some respect, but, but that, that got me. Because I was like, oh, yes, I think that's what God has done for me. And I realized in that moment, in my zeal to see, you know, other people come to faith, that actually God, God really wanted me to go forward and to know afresh my own identity in him. Now, we could talk about loads of things to do with I am the vine, and this series around the I am stuff. You know, Jesus says, yeah, he says I am. He claims that he's God. He says I am the bread of life. He's food for us. I am the light of the world, and he is light in the darkness. He says I am the gate for the sheep. He is the protector. He is the one who guards, the one who doesn't sleep so that we can sleep and rest. He says he is the good shepherd. He is the one who can guide us, even through the valley of the shadow of death, it says in Psalm 23. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He, and he is. He is the one who rose again and who invites us into new life, to die so that we might live again and to be the people who are not afraid of death anymore because we know that there is more. He is the one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he is. And he means it. He is the way. He goes so far as to say, there is no other way. Everything else is a poor reflection of the way that I can lead you in. But I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, I am the vine. And I think the vine, for so many of us, is a way in which we can see afresh that God cares about our identity in him. That he cares about the way in which we get re founded and grafted into an identity which actually is far bigger than our own. It's in Jesus that we are allowed to both go on the journey which is inward. Who am I? What do I need? How, what has God made me for? God allows us to do that. Like He's, he's fine with that. But, but at the same time, be asking, who, who might be impacted by what I can do? What is the community and family that I am now part of in Jesus? What is this movement that we are part of, which is the bride of Christ across the globe, this bigger identity into which we get enveloped? It is us who gets the privilege of both finding out who we are, but also knowing that we are part of something much, much bigger. I think it's a, I'm going to try and remember a Fleet Foxes lyric right now. This is in my notes. Uh, which is, um, uh, I was brought up believing I was somehow unique. 
like a snowflake, unique amongst snowflakes, unique in each way that I think. But now I would rather believe I am one cog, part of something far bigger than me. And we are to be the people who, yes, are beautiful snowflakes. Did you know that? It's a very Christmas thing. You are a beautiful snowflake. Every snowflake is unique. You are totally unique. You cannot know that enough. But also, you are a part, a unique part of something much, much bigger than yourself. And God invites you into that. The metaphor of the vine is amazing. Jesus is talking about a grapevine. And grapevines are just, you know, incredible things. Any vine is just ferocious. And uh, moving into Doughty Court as the associate minister here, like a couple of months ago, uh, there were vines all over that garden round down there. And um, it's the first time we've ever had a garden. And uh, some of you will have seen those vines, yeah. Um, and I, last week, I got to clear out kind of and prune back the last of the vine. And, uh, and we ended up with this bundle, Carrie and I, which was like, seriously, was kind of this big. It was huge. And I was kind of carrying it to the bins of the council block and uh, like trying to find out if it was all right to leave it there and uh, all of that kind of stuff. And, uh, and I was amazed, actually, by the way in which this vine had taken over. And I think it was a couple of years of growth, but vines are ferocious plants, and they grow at a ferocious rate. And they are able to, uh, like, they are able to kind of, you know, weave their way around all sorts of things. And this is the reality of life with Jesus, is that we are able to grow at a ferocious rate. That there is growth as part of the promise of being involved in life with Jesus. And here the picture is of Jesus as, as the vine, the main vine, uh, and us as the branches shooting off from this vine, totally attached, but also going off in directions that are fueled by the life of the true vine, Jesus. But he also says, really interestingly, that his father is the gardener. And Jesus and John, as he wrote his gospel, have this phenomenal ability to draw us into the mystery of the Trinity. And so here again, we're presented with this kind of invite into this mysterious relationship. Here is Jesus, who is the true vine, the I am. But also he's talking about his father, who has this other role in which uh, is totally in relationship with Jesus. And of course, then, as we read through the gospel, we find out that it's the Holy Spirit who is able to navigate and draw us into and guide us through uh, in those relationships. Jesus is the one sent from the father. And the Father is the one who gives Jesus to the world. And it's the Holy Spirit who is then sent by the Father and by Jesus to us, who lives and is at work still today and who, who moves among us in order that we might be people who bear fruit. And this is Jesus' promise. His promise is we will bear fruit. So you, unique snowflake that you are, can bear fruit, which is also unique and important for the world. Have you ever thought that you and your role and the fruit out of who you are might be important for the world? Some of you, you will have been taught that your whole life. You may have grown up thinking, yeah, yeah. Like, I was always going to change the world, you know? I'm going to be part of that. But for others of you, you've never grown up with that. And actually, that's new to you. You think, me? What are you talking about? But this is the mystery that God invites us into, that we all are able to bear fruit. But here's the amazing thing about you know, wine and about uh, grapevines is that, um, as we know from some of the most, I mean, wine can be super expensive. 
and, uh, and there are people who collect and there are bottles that don't even have a price because they're so kind of rare and what have you. The common thing about all of these different things, which are part of fruit, uh, of the vine, the fruit of the grapes who, which grow on the vine, is that they all bear in them something of the identity in the place that they have grown. The vine takes what it needs from the soil and from light and from water, and then it produces fruit which have a unique taste of that place. And it is the same with us. Jesus is able to take our uniqueness when we are part of the vine with him and translate that. He doesn't trample on it, uh, which is also a grape thing, but he, I don't think he, tra- you know, he doesn't trample on it. That's not in this I Am passage. Uh, but he makes fruit out of it. He takes your things which are unique to you in relationship to, to everybody else, all the other Christians who are part, like attached to this vine, Jesus, and he then can make wine out of that. I wonder what the wine of Shadwell would taste like. You know, if, if Jesus was the vine, like Jesus, of, imagine that Jesus is a vine planted right here in Shadwell, drawing up the, the, the like unique tastes and pieces of the identity of Shadwell that he, he can just show his glory through and really cherish, leaving behind the stuff that doesn't like, you know, um, that is the bad taste, as it were, drawing up all those things in order to produce this wine of Shadwell. What would that taste like? And I wonder if we get to taste that somehow. But I wonder about also the other places where you live and you work and you serve. What would it look like for there to be a good wine out of the identity and the taste of, the, of God in the place where you are? What would it look like for Tower Hamlets, which I think is just, uh, can, like has, has, has this phenomenal capacity to produce God wine in a place, but that has been so kind of disregarded or broken um, or abused and and that wine has been stripped away, the taste has been stripped away, so that the tastes that are remain are, are some glorified story of, of violence and Jack the Ripper or something else. What if all of that stuff was, was wiped away and God could take even some of that pain and translate it into new wine of this place that is good for the world? And it's interesting talking about pruning because pruning... I think for a lot of us can be, can be an, a bad experience. We are not people who, who like to be um, pruned, challenged, cut back in any way. But here again in the picture of the vine, God the Father is tender enough to be able to prune in order to bear good fruit. It's a pruning in which I think we can put our trust. And actually the word for prune also means clean. And Jesus is the one who comes to us to clean us. Yeah, going further into this passage in John 15, we have the amazing uh, verse which says, um, I chose you first. You know, in a culture where pain is seen as an excuse to change, oh, you've hurt me, so I'm going to go over the here now. Or not succeeding enough in a London which is just... Uh, kind of hung with this um, overproductivity and need to be the best at everything, where we can feel so rejected just because we're not the like, number one person at this thing or we, we didn't get that opportunity. God can take that stuff and actually uh, brings us into himself so that we might be made whole again. 
so that he might even take our pain and translate it and take it and make it into something which actually can bear fruit, fruit which is good for the world, fruit of the kingdom. And when the vines would get pruned, the different, the people who tend vines would, would call that moment where they cut off a branch, preparing it really for a new season ahead. They would call that the weeping because the plant would, would let out some of the liquid inside it. And I think for us, weeping is something which is important to us. And it's something which God, again, in his tenderness comes to and says, I can take those tears and you who sow in tears will reap shouts of joy later. But we do live in this tension. We live in this tension between those who can bear much fruit, but also those who encounter pain. And here in the vine in Jesus, we find his ability, not our own, but his ability to hold us in the tension of those things. He uses this word remain, it gets translated remain, uh, which is the word to abide as well, it gets translated as that. And this word literally like, can mean uh, stay, stay connected to me, Jesus says in this. But it or can also mean survive, S survive in me. You know, Jesus goes so far as to say, survive in me, even when it's hard. But it can also mean wait. You know, wait in me. And patience is, is not a fun thing <laughs> most of the time in my experience. But wait in me, Jesus says. And because when we wait in him, we wait with the promise of fruit to come. Fruit that can even cope and translate and change our pain into something which is good. So Jesus takes us and pulls us into his identity. And his identity is the one who is rooted with God the Father and the Holy Spirit as the one God. And as we connect to him, the source, and take up his invite to remain in him, survive with him, wait on him, then we can look towards the bearing of fruit. Fruit that for the world means hope, means transformation, means people who are oppressed being set free, means people who are trapped being liberated, means people who are hurting being healed, means us, even us, can be people who are part of this bigger community, the church, the body of Christ, who can find our place within this thing, which is not bound to buildings, but is out to get into the whole of the world and that we can be the people uh, who, with Jesus, show the world what good news is. And we don't do that out of strength. We do that out of weakness, out of knowing that we are not perfect, but in Jesus, we are connected to somebody who is. The last I am saying in the whole of the Bible is in Revelation. It's, and it's where Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, which is the first letter and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. He is the A and the Z, uh, and uh, for Z, for those of you who might be from other nations. Um, <laughs> no, the, he is the beginning and the end. 
this is what we get in Jesus. This is not a small claim from him. He claims to be God, and he claims to be the only way to God. This is not a small offer from Jesus. He claims to be able to be light in the darkness, to be the very one who can light up your world. And this is not a small journey. This will change your life if it hasn't already. I'm sure it has already for lots of you. And it will change your life again and again and again. Because Jesus is a revolutionary for the world. And he is a revolutionary for us. He will revolutionize how you work on the inside as well as revolutionizing how the world can work.